Good morning. It's great to see you, and it's great to be here. It's great for us to be together uh, back where uh, I belong. It's, it's great to be here today. Um, I want to say thank you to uh, our lay people and staff who preached for the last several weeks uh, while I was busy. Some of you were like, hey, how's your vacation been? Um, no, it wasn't that. Uh, two mission trips and three summer camps and a wedding and two funerals and a couple guest speaking Sunday opportunities. So no, it's not. But we did get to go on vacation last week. We went to South Padre Island as a family. Uh, to enjoy our one last little getaway before Garrett leaves for college tomorrow morning. And so you're glad he's leaving or you're proud of him? Because I just want to, the jury's still out, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's a little soon. Let's, let's cheer at the end of the first semester. But uh, anyways, um, so if you see a puddle uh, over in the kids' church wing this morning, uh, we don't have a leaky pipe. That's just Marisa um, because Garrett's leaving tomorrow. So, um so thank you to our guys for sharing. And I, and I want to say this, the, for those who aren't used to that, maybe you grew up in a church where, like, the man of God never let anybody else preach. Um, I think it's really unhealthy in a church our size for you to hear me 52 Sundays a year. Uh, because the same God of Abraham and David that we just sang about, that same spirit lives in you. And so we need to hear what God's speaking among our body, not just the pastoral staff, but among our lay people. I think that is a healthy thing. And I specifically uh, want to publicly honor Hunter. Young man, I'm proud of you. Uh, I'm proud of you preaching God's word. We're proud of seeing how he's growing you and developing you. And you need opportunities like this, so I need to shut up and give you that opportunity. Great job, uh, specifically on the week that you shared. Yep. The rest of you guys did okay, too. But um, I also think, not I think, I also believe that every person who's ever lived on planet earth other than Jesus benefits from the preaching of God's truth benefits from sitting under the preaching from text driven Jesus centered preaching and teaching. And that's true for me too. I also think it's important that on a regular basis, you see me sit under the preaching of God's word, uh, just like we challenge you to do on a weekly basis. The other thing that I would say about uh, a summer like this, and, and as much as I've preached other places, is um, most of those opportunities are tied to um, the, the testimony of my brother's suicide. If you've not heard that story and aren't aware, that's a longer story for another day. But for those of you who know that story, that's really the, the reason I get invited to speak at places. And I just got to tell you, every time... Um, that that terrible story is shared through the lenses of the hope of Jesus Christ. And then I see God bear fruit in it and teenagers come to saving faith in Jesus and find hope for their hurts. It's a little another piece of healing of what the enemy meant for evil and what the father meant for good. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share that story, uh, even though that means I'm not here as much sometimes. Um, I'm grateful for it. But having said that, it's good to be home. We're ending this summer series pre-decide this morning before we jump back into the book of Acts that we started walking through in January. And uh, the American attention span is so short that you might be like, oh, I forgot we were in Acts. Or you might be like, oh, I thought we were done and I don't want to go back because that's just too much time in one book. But I, I'm thrilled. I cannot wait to get back into that next week. Um, but we're going to end this morning talking about pre-deciding faithfulness, pre-deciding 
to remain faithful. We're really only going to look at one verse of scripture this morning because there was so much scripture that deals with the, the issue or the topic, the idea of faithfulness that I was kind of overwhelmed with where to begin. And really this one verse not only highlights what I believe God wants to say to us about faithfulness this morning, it also is kind of a good summary of where we've been uh, since Father's Day when we started this series, Predecide. Essentially, this morning we're going to talk about predeciding to keep on predeciding. Don't wait till you're in the moment. Let's make some predecisions. And we want to predecide faithfulness. Like just keeping on. The least spectacular topic in the English language. Faithfulness. A definition of faithfulness that, that might be lost on us is actually uh, by a guy named Eugene Peterson. He's the author of the message paraphrase. And he talks about the, that following Jesus is defined like this. A long obedience in the same direction. Just continuing to obey the one we're following. To continue to follow his lead. A long obedience in the same direction. It is a similar idea to endurance, which Trevor talked about last week. But it's different enough that I felt like it needed its own week to really focus on this idea of faithfulness. Because I'm convinced this is a lost art form in our culture today. We want the new, the hip, the trending. We want the viral. We want the, the, the spectacular and yet the, the Christian life is actually gloriously and beautifully mundane and ordinary. We're going to talk about predeciding to stay faithful. And so I know it's been on our bumper video for the summer, but I want us to get back in the habit again. I'm going to encourage you to grab your Bible or whatever device you use uh, to follow along with God's word. If you don't have a Bible today, there's one underneath a seat in front of you. We're going to invite you to hold it up in the air and declare our creed together as we jump in this morning. Let's say this together. You're out of practice, so let's like jump in and do this. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind. And give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. It's page 435 there if you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you. Psalm 37. As you're turning, I want to ask you a word as you're scrolling or turning. I want to ask you this word. Have you ever been called, anybody in this room, Or maybe online you can respond. Have you ever been called a snout fair? Anybody? Hey, you are such a snout fair. Anybody? No? Nobody's been like, hey, bro, you're a snout fair. Nobody. So that is a word that actually has existed in the English language. And its definition is a person who has a handsome countenance. It's a compliment. You have a fair snout. You are a snout fair. It's a real word, right? Snout fair is a real word. But here's the thing. Nobody raised their hand and said they had seen it, or had heard it rather, or has ever been called that anyways. Because what happened is it fell out of common vernacular because it sounds weird. Anything that starts with snout just doesn't sound like a compliment. Right? You look way better than a pig snout. Like, I don't know what. And so because we stopped using that word, 
It literally was removed from the English dictionary. Like in a generation, a word ceased to exist. And here's why I'm talking about snout fair this morning. By the way, many of you look just very snout fairish today. I don't even know how to use it. See, I don't know. Um, I, I just finished this book while we were on vacation last week by Jefferson Bethke, and he ends the book, the, the very last little kind of final thought of the book. He talks about this word snout fair. And he said, the reason I want you to be aware of the word snout fair is because I'm afraid the word faithfulness is on its way out in our generation. It's going to go the way of a snout fair. And maybe a generation from now to say that somebody's just been faithful is going to sound as odd and out of place to us as to say that they were a snout fair. He, he said this. He said the, the reason that faithfulness is not trendy today is because at its root, faithfulness is about obscurity and ordinariness which is the biggest cultural curse we have today. God forbid we're obscure or ordinary. That's the cultural curse of the day. Gone are the days where the common story is, I've worked at this job my whole life. Gone are the days that I've lived in this town my whole life. Or I've been doing life with this group of friends my whole life. It's uncommon. Gone are the days of I've been in this marriage my entire married life. Faithfulness is so not trendy because we have so many options. We have more options than any generation that's ever existed. So why would I say faithful? I want new and better. I want to know what's the hippest and the coolest and the most cutting edge. And yet the Christian life, true human flourishing is found in faithfully following Jesus. It's found in faithfulness. So here's our verse where we're going to walk through this morning. Psalm 37 verse 3 says this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So that's where we're heading. We're, we're heading towards befriending faithfulness. But I want to walk through each of those four phrases and highlight each of those ideas one by one before we land together on befriending faithfulness. And so we begin with this challenge, trust in the Lord. And that is, if there's a central theme or a central heart to this whole series we've been going through this summer of pre-deciding, it's trusting the Lord. It's trusting in the heart of God. It's believing that whatever I'm going to face, I'm believing in advance that Jesus is good. That only he can satisfy the longings of the human heart. I believe he is and he rewards those who seek him. I believe there is a God and I believe that that's good news. He's not the angry, wrathful, looking to, to catch me off guard and blindside me. No, he's a loving, tender father who is for my good. He is slow to anger and full of forgiveness. He's good. And if I trust his goodness, if I truly trust his character and his nature, then I can choose joy even in suffering. Because I've predecided to trust him regardless of my circumstances. If I trust Jesus, 
then naturally I'm going to seek Jesus. If I trust him, that will fuel my fight for the things that tempt me away from him. If I trust Jesus, that's the only hope of getting to the other side in the storm. And if I trust the generosity of Jesus, I can't help but be generous. And if I trust Jesus, then I can endure regardless of the circumstance. It all finds its heart and its root in trusting Jesus. And I got to tell you this morning, (laughs) I've never believed more in my life in the trustworthiness of the heart of God. He is worthy of my trust this morning. And you know what? I'm not. (laughs) Because to truly trust him means to lay aside or let go of lesser trusts. Like my hope to endure is not that I trust my plan. Which is easy for me to say right now because I'm preaching. But tomorrow when my plan explodes, I'm going to instantly re-examine my plan. As God's growing my faith in his goodness, though, I find myself not as quick to reevaluate my plans as I do to reevaluate my faith in his heart. Do I believe he's really good? Then my plans that consistently aren't good, really have they earned the worth of my faith? No. At the end of the day, I don't trust my effort. I don't trust my skill set. I don't, I don't trust my, my bootstrap mentality. No, I don't trust my retirement plan. I don't, I don't trust ultimately my friends because I have found that many of my friends have bad days. Matter of fact, some of them have as many bad days as I do. They're terrible friends. I don't ultimately trust in Marisa. I trust in her God. Man, I trust him more than I ever have because he's the same God. The song that we just sang, like, I trust today the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and the people who led me to Christ and who've discipled me. He's the same God. Here's how faithful he is. He's the same yesterday and every yesterday and today and every today and forever. He's so faithful he can't change. He's trustworthy. And either we trust him Either our trust is vertical or it's horizontal, centered in on self or some poor person whose shoulders are not broad enough to bear the weight of your faith. Predecide. Because here's the thing. If I wait until I'm in suffering, if I wait until I'm in a storm, if I wait until I'm being forced to choose to endure or bail, If I wait until I'm confronted with a need for generosity, if I wait until I'm in the middle of temptation to decide whether or not he's trustworthy, I might just be more overcome by my problem than by my faith. Pre-decide. Because he's been faithful, I don't know what's coming next, but I'm just going to trust him. And here's the thing. When we hit suffering, we got to re-examine that faith, right? It gets shaken and it it gets rattled. 
But the less we predecide now, the harder it's going to be to land in the goodness of God then. Just predecide. We're going to trust in the Lord. We're going to trust in His heart because He's trustworthy. And then the next phrase trust in the Lord and do good. Confession, I struggle with that. I struggle with that wording. Because of the way that I was raised in the faith, that sounds very shaming to me. I struggle when I read do good because it feels like trust in the goodness of God and be better. Because I feel like growing up, I heard a whole lot of, hey, do better. But I'm doing my best. It ain't good enough. God's ticked at you. You better do better. Right? This, this isn't shaming. Or it sounds sometimes to me very condescending, right? Trust in the goodness of God. And young man, you better be a good boy. Right? Right? It's not that either. Or even worse. My flesh hears that and thinks, oh, I got to be perfect. It's perfectionism. Trust in the Lord and don't mess this up. And then I wake up and get out of bed. And that's out the window. But this is neither perfectionism or condescension or shaming. This is the most common horizontal command in the Bible. This is about loving people. The idea here in the Hebrew text is that we would Seek the good of others. Here's what this twin command is. Trust in the goodness of God and love broken people. And you say, well, it doesn't say love. It says do good. In God's economy, there's no difference. Because in God's economy, love is not just a feeling. It's not warm thoughts and wishes. It's not nice words. It's always an action. True biblical love always seeks the good of others especially when they're difficult to love. That's biblical love. Now, here's the deal, and I've said this before, but it needs to be said again. Uh, we've, we've inverted this today. So much of our modern worship is full of very loving words, appropriately to God. Very affectionate, loving to God. And then what we want is we want people in our life and enough faith in self that we're surrounded by people truly worthy of all of our trust. And then when they aren't, when they're just as broken as us, we're like, I'm done. I'm going to another church. I'm done with these friends. I'm out of this marriage. I'm done with this job. I'm done. People. People are terrible. Yeah. They're as bad as you. It's awful. Because we've inverted this. We want to love God and trust people. And the most repeated command in all of Scripture is to trust God. And again and again, we're called to love people. Trust God. Predecide. When people are difficult, I'm still going to love them because my faith isn't in them. My faith is in the heart of a perfect father. Trust God and seek the good of others. And here's why that order is really important. I can't really seek your good if I'm not convinced that there's somebody, like capital S, somebody, Seeking my good. (laughs) 
And when I believe it's him seeking my good, well, then I can surely love you. Like, he knows how busted up I am and still seeks my good. Ah, what can I do for you? Like, it has to begin with faith in him. It has to begin with faith in his goodness. Trust God and love people. And then the next phrase, dwell in the land. That sounds like a very, if you grew up in church, that sounds like very Old Testament, Israelite, promised land, doesn't apply to us today kind of a thing. And I think it could not apply more to us today. Because here's what he's basically saying. Trust God. Love people wherever you are. Be where you are. I don't know if you know this, but we're not very good at being where we are. Right? Um, so two um, renowned psychologists, Matthew Killingsworth and Daniel Gilbert, did extensive research on this out of mind kind of a thing. Our minds are always somewhere else. And their extensive research, and I don't understand how they came up with this number, but they're really confident about this number. 46.9% of the time, the average person is thinking about something other than what they're doing. 46.9% of the time. And I think if you're listening to a sermon, it's like 96 points. No, I'm just kidding. 46.9% is a massive number, and I think they might be underestimating. Because think about what we do. Like, man, it was a busy day and we're processing what all we did today. So we start streaming a movie while scrolling on social media, while filling our shopping cart on our Amazon app, while thinking about what we're going to eat dinner and whether or not we have clean clothes tomorrow, while having a conversation with our beloved spouse. And literally, there's this, there's this challenge. Just trust Jesus and love people wherever you are. Psychologists call this escapism. We are all infected with a chronic case of greener grass syndrome, not greener gas. You should see a doctor for that. (laughs) I just kind of think about that for a bit. We went and saw the Minions movie last night. There's actually that green gas and I'm seeing that in my mind. I wish, wish I could project Okay, I'm back. We, that was an important line of the sermon, too. We all have a chronic case of a greener grass syndrome. Since the garden, Adam and Eve had everything. You can eat of all of the fruit, of all of the trees. What more could they want? One more tree. And they only had that one other option. Cultural uh, uh, historians say that we're living in an age of option overload. We have so many options that we can't really enjoy anything because we're wondering, did we miss something that was better? And, And the beautiful challenge here in the text is, Just be where you are. Like if we believe in the goodness of God, then you're not where you are by accident. He's got a purpose. And because he's good, that purpose is good. So maybe it's not about, can I get a new career? I got to get a new house. I got to get a new car. I got to get a new spouse. Then my life will be better. 
We're always looking for the new thing. And, and this challenge is if you really trust the goodness of God and your love and broken people, just be where you are. You're where you are on purpose and not by accident. I love Mark Batterson said, we miss the flourishing that God offers us because we're living in another time zone. You ever travel international and you're like, man, I don't even know what day it is. I think we're living that way. I had a moment this summer. One of the camps that I spoke at was in the very western edge of the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. Beautiful. Beautiful. I flew into Chattanooga, and the director of the camp picked me up. We drove about an hour to the camp. And typically, when I'm speaking for a whole week at a place, I try really hard to get there the night before because I'm terrible at being where I am. I need to get there long enough to be present. But Marisa was at kids' camp with Bryson, and Garrett was interning with Manor Worldwide with Engage Camps this summer, and so I was stuck with Ethan. It was awful. Actually, we had a great time. But because of that, I couldn't leave till Monday. And so when I get off the plane, I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, man, I'm supposed to speak in a couple hours. And I was like, "Ah, this is what I usually do. I'm distracted. And my buddy Dave has known me well enough to tell that I was kind of flustered. And so when we get to the camp, he's like, you know, you have an extra hour, right? Like, what are you talking about? He said, look at your watch. That camp was two miles from the time zone line. See, I flew in to the eastern time zone, and then right before we drove up the mountain to this beautiful camp, we crossed into central time zone. Came back home, baby. All of a sudden, I was like, I have a whole nother hour. And here's the deal. I think some of us are so stressed and anxious that we're missing out on something because we're living in the wrong time zone. And the challenge this morning is if we really trust the goodness of God, then be where we are. Let's love the people right in front of us. You're like, but they're hard to love. And maybe someone else might not be so difficult to love. They're just as hard as them. You just don't know those other people yet. (laughs) Trust God and love people. At its core... I believe this escapism is all rooted in faith. Here's why. Hear me. If I truly believe that only Jesus can satisfy the longings of the human heart, and I believe that he's present, then why do I need to be anywhere else? This is a desire battle. If I'm truly delighting myself through faith in the presence of God, then I'm not trying to get the new, better Trending viral, which is the next verse in the text. If you've got your Bibles open or whatever, scroll down. The next verse in the text. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When I was a young person, I was like, sweet. So if I just pretend to want Jesus enough, I can have everything I want. What an awesome verse. Jesus, I delight in you. Can I please now have a billion dollars? I delight in the Lord. I desire a Lamborghini. Let's go. And the more I've grown to believe that only Jesus can satisfy the longings of the heart, the more delight I've tasted in him, the more I have found him hijack my desires and replace them with better ones. 
And so what this verse is really saying is when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives new desires for our heart and then satisfies them. How good is that? He takes our lesser self-oriented desires and gives us new kingdom-oriented desires and then provides them through his own presence because he's that good. Amen. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. And now we finally get to the sermon. That was the introduction. (laughs) And befriend faithfulness. So trust God and love people right where we are. And befriend faithfulness. Here's another way to say that. Trust God. Love people right where we are. And then get up tomorrow and do it again. Just a long obedience. Mundane obedience in the same glorious, satisfying, fulfilling, flourishing direction. think faithfulness is lost on us, y'all. Befriend faithfulness. I love how the ESV phrases this, befriend faithfulness. If you're using a different English translation, it probably says something different because almost every English translation translates these two words differently because it's a really difficult translation. And we don't usually talk about original languages on Sunday morning because you do not have to speak Greek or Hebrew to hear from Jesus. This is one of those mornings where it's helpful to say the word befriend in the English Standard Version is the Hebrew word ra'ah. And that is a really difficult word to translate for us today because all of its original roots are stuff we don't get. Let me explain this. Here's the definition of ra'ah. Feed, graze, drive out to pasture. What? I don't, I've never driven anything out to pasture. I don't even like taking my dogs out the backyard. Shepherd. Like, what does that mean? Protect. Nourish. Here's my favorite definition. Cultivate. But I actually don't know what that word means. I've never cultivated anything in my life. We have killed plastic plants in our house. Cultivate. Those words are kind of lost on us because it has to do with shepherding and farming, right? 200 years ago, in 1820, it's estimated that right around 70% of American workforce was farmers. Seven out of 10 American workers were farmers. Today, 1.5%. From 70% to 1%. We don't understand shepherding anymore. We don't understand farming anymore. But respectfully to the ESV translators, I don't think we understand friendship very much anymore either. The fact is, I think friendship has become a consumer sport. Oh, I like you. You're good to me. You make my life better. Let's be friends. Oh, shoot, you're human. I'm done with you. Unfriend. Really, we're not great at cultivating friendships. 
We're not great at nourishing friendships. But that whole beautiful picture is this idea of befriending. Work at it. Faithfulness. Like nourish the relationship with getting up tomorrow and continuing to obey in the same direction. Isn't that good? So a Hebrew scholar said this. He said, um, oh, by the way, if you're using the New American Standard Bible, they actually said cultivate faithfulness. So thumbs up, NASB, good job. Okay. Hebrew scholar said this. The best translation for our language today would be diligently cultivate by grazing on the virtue of faithfulness. It's a lot more wordy, but it sure does paint a better picture. And this is what he said. This is what this Greek scholar said, this Hebrew scholar said. He said, I believe David is trying to encourage us to so devote ourselves to developing faithfulness that it just becomes part of us. Like the way that that friend since kindergarten is just part of your life. That's awesome. Trust God. Love people right where we are. And get up tomorrow and do it again. Predecide. Tomorrow might be a rough day. But I'm going to keep trusting God and loving people. Right? So that one day. This is kind of like the carrot that Jesus would dangle for us so that maybe one day we might hear the master say, well done, good and faithful servant. I I think that is so not 2022. We want to hear well done, good and fantastic servant. Well done, good and viral servant. Well done, good and spectacular servant. And he just invites us into the mundane of a long obedience in the same direction. So you've been faithful in the small things, and now you get to enjoy much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. The Apostle Paul talks about how they, we are stewards of the gospel of grace, that we steward it the way we do our retirement fund. And then he talks about one thing that's required, that God requires of stewards. Only one thing is required of stewards that they be found faithful. It's not required of stewards that they be found spectacular. And I just want to say this. In this age of celebrity preachers and like trending Christians who are like 15 years old and, you know, like, listen, what's really required for us is to just be faithful. It might not make any headlines, but it just might move the heart of God. One thing is required, that we're found faithful. A few weeks ago, Terry Harris's father passed away. We went to his funeral. C.J. Crow is, had a profound influence in the origin story of Temple Ministries, the church and the school and the preschool here. From a human perspective, without C.J. Crow's C.J. Crow's leadership and influence. I don't know the temple would look like temple. And attending 
His funeral was so interesting to me because what I heard from every person who spoke is a life that was just faithful for 89 years. Not spectacular. No making headlines. His grandson got up and spoke the most beautiful, honorable legacy about his grandfather. And essentially was he kept showing up. (laughs) That's a legacy. Just faithful. We're not chasing the new high. That's consumerism. We're just faithful. But we got to end here. We got to end here because if we stop right now, what this sounds like is behavior modification. All right, everybody. Let's suck it up and trust Jesus. And let's do some good. Right where you're at. And keep it up. Deuces. I'm out of here. But hold on a second. It's better than that. And maybe that is the message of religion or performancism. But I want you to hear what I'm about to say. The reason this text starts with trust in the Lord is this. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Please hear what I'm about to say. Our ordinary faithfulness is simply a response to his extraordinary faithfulness. Because he's been so good. Because he's been so faithful. I just respond by continuing to trust him. Do you hear that? In just a moment, we're going to end this service by standing together and singing the song, The Goodness of God. And I know we just sang it last Sunday, but I asked Trevor, can we do that again? Because for a lot of us in this room, this is a a season of transition. The young parents are transitioning into another school year. Students are transitioning into the next year. And some of our younger adults are transitioning in college or new career And I just think it's good for us to stand together and to say out loud, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. It is good for us to declare the faithfulness of God because our call to faithfulness is simply a response to his extraordinary faithfulness. But it's even better than that. Our call to ordinary faithfulness is also fueled by his faithfulness. Empowered by his faithfulness. There's this beautiful contrast in Galatians chapter 5 about what our flesh produces and what the Holy Spirit of God in us produces. He calls it fruit. The stuff that The fruit that flesh produces, he describes. And then he describes the fruit that the Holy Spirit uh, develops, rather, displays through us. Things we are all about, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. We're all about that. And then he says that a fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. The ability to get up tomorrow and... Keep trusting Jesus and loving the same broken people that you're doing life with right where you are is the hope that the Spirit of God might produce faithfulness in us that apart from Him, we'd want to escape and find something better. It is His work for His glory. So ultimately, this morning, I'm inviting you to 
not out loud, but collectively to pray a simple prayer this morning. And it's this, God, please empower me to predecide to trust you and love people right where I am. Then give me the grace to show up tomorrow and do it again. And you can add to that prayer until I see your face. Until I don't need faith anymore because my faith has become sight. God, empower me. Give me your grace to trust you and love people right where I am. And then to show up tomorrow and to do that again. And close with this story and then we'll respond with a song. I told you we went to the beach last week. And I'll honestly tell you, um, I told somebody this morning it's the best vacation we've ever had in my life. And then I thought it for a minute and that's not true. It's the best vacation we've had since we had kids. Because <laughs> vacations were a lot simpler before. But it's the best vacation we've ever had as a family. It was awesome. Marisa had to come back a day earlier than us because uh, of uh, the new school year starting at Temple Days. And so me and the boys drove back by ourselves. And we ended up going a different route that I've never driven before. We've been going to South Pottery since 2014, but I've never come back up US 77 before. I've never been on that stretch. And on the East Coast, where I grew up, if you end up on a highway where there are no gas stations, there's a sign that says, no gas stations for 7,643 miles. There's no such sign on stinking 77. How do I know that and why is that important? I'm glad you asked. My car has been in the shop all summer long and so I have a loaner. And the gauges are different. Don't get ahead of me. And I knew that I wanted to go ahead and top off whenever I stopped to get the boys breakfast. But I forgot. They wanted Dunkin' Donuts. Do you know what Dunkin' was out of? Donuts. This supply shortage, y'all. Like, anyways. So because of that heartbreak, I forgot I was going to top off. Until I was up and driving. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a male thing because we're dumb. I don't know. I was just like, well, I'm not stopping now. We just stopped. Like, I'm going to wait for this chocolate milk or hot chocolate they're drinking to hit their bladders. Because we can't stop and get gas unless it's a potty break time. It's in the Bible somewhere. So I'm just going to drive for a minute. Even though when I hopped on, it went, ding, you have 60 miles of fuel left. So we're driving for a while. and It only drops every five miles, but it was dropping really fast. And I'm looking down and it's now at 15 miles. And I'm like, I've not seen another human being in a long time. This doesn't seem right. And so I pull out Google Maps. The boys were asleep or whatever. And I clicked a little gas icon on Google Maps. And it says the next gas station is 36 miles. And I've told you all before I'm really bad at math. But I ain't that bad at math. (laughs) 
And as I'm looking at that, thinking, huh, it goes 10 miles. I'm like, well, that's going the wrong direction. So I say out loud, uh-oh, I think we have a problem. And then the worst thing, again, I don't know if it's testosterone or what, I might have to drive backwards on a road trip? I mean, that's like, I think you lose your salvation temporarily when you do that. I'm like, well, that's just what I have to do. I look back to see, there's got to be a close gas station. 17 miles. Ding! Five miles left of gas. Well, this isn't good. I'm now saying all this out loud. The boys are actually awake and they're like, what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I ain't got AAA. So I see a turnaround spot. I turn around and start heading back. As I get to the decelerate lane to turn around, goose egg, zero miles until empty. Well, isn't that special? It says we're 20-something minutes to drive this 17 miles, 16 or 17 miles. I'm like, well, boys, I guess you're pushing. No, I don't know. I'm like, I, don't, I literally don't know what we would do. We're in the middle of nowhere. I guess you would call for a tow truck who might bring some fuel, and Lord knows how much is that going to cost, right? And how much time is that going to cost? This is disastrous. And so I'm praying, God, I praise you that I don't have to have faith to ask something of you because this ain't happening. But get us to the gas station anyways, whatever. And then I'm like, no, for real, God, show these boys that you're that good. Please? (laughs) And I'll be honest with you, I can't remember the last time in my life I felt that worked up. Like, I'm just staring at the zero, like it's going to go to negative. And I'm watching the Google Maps going, you are moving way too slow. And I'm looking at the gauge, and it doesn't go lower. So at least it stopped moving. There's a plus. And I am, and I'm I'm actually talking to the Lord at this point, because I know I'm preaching about faith this morning. I'm like, God, I really want to trust you right now, but like math. And I look next to me, and Garrett is sound asleep. (laughs) Head over on the window, mouth open, like not sleeping, unconscious. (laughs) And I look in the rearview mirror, Bryson's gone. I mean, out. And I looked at Ethan, and he looked asleep too. To be fair, he later told me he was actually wide awake, he was praying. But I didn't know that in the moment. I just saw his eyes closed. And my first thought was, are you serious? I would blow a blood pressure cuff straight out the window right now if you put it on me. And y'all are sleeping? But I think that's actually a picture of what it is to trust the heart of a father. Now, if they were placing their faith in me in that moment, they don't know I had no plan. But when I trust the one who's actually at the wheel of this thing called the universe, my faith is never misplaced. And that's why David said, I can lay down and sleep. 
And I woke up and the Lord sustained me because he's worthy that we would pre-decide I can trust him. I don't know that I can trust me in that moment. Whew, I've lost to lesser temptations than that. I don't know that I can trust you because, man, you have as many bad days as I do. But I can trust him, which means we can just keep following a long obedience after him, trusting him together as we love one another right where God's placed us today. And then show up tomorrow and trust him again. Because he's good. We made it to 17 miles of the gas station and didn't run out of gas. And he still would have been good even if we hadn't. But it makes this illustration a lot better. (laughs) He's good. He's trustworthy.